I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Dave Kittle here. I'm the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently speaking with practice owners about partnering or acquiring some or all of their practice. And today we have John Barnes on the show. He's the CEO at Pendleton Street Business Advisors, and they help business owners get more for their largest investment. John, welcome on. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Dave. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to be on the show. Absolutely. I love the pre-interview. Sometimes I wish we could record it, but I got to get into like, make sure we're on the same page with like exactly what someone does and who they help. So for anyone that's in the audience, if they haven't watched you, seen you, met you, connected with you, tell us a little bit about yourself and your your firm, your company, and uh, we'll get into it. Sure. Yeah. So my name is John and uh, our firm is Pendleton Street Business Advisors. All of our clients own businesses or used to own a business and it is their largest investment. And the highest level, we're trying to help our our clients understand their business as an investment, what makes it valuable, not only to them, but what makes it valuable to someone else. And then as financial planners, I'm a certified financial planner by training. We are using that largest asset in a financial planning process to help them understand not just what their business is worth currently, but what does it need to be worth and when do they need to achieve that target valuation? Awesome. So let's get into, and and also, so you guys are not, you're not brokers, you're on the advisory side, you will be a part of your clients. If a client works with you guys, it's kind of like you're, I don't know, do you filter clients in and out as to like, if they have aspirations in the next two to five or or two to 10 years to potentially exit? Is that like a, a qualification where if someone maybe is younger, maybe in their 20s or 30s, if like they're too early in the business game, does that disqualify them versus if someone is in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and they're looking for that exit and getting to that liquidity event? Is that something that would kind of qualify or disqualify someone to work with you guys? No, not necessarily. We have, we kind of categorize our clients into two types. We think about them like airplanes. Our landing clients, think about an airplane coming in for landing. Those are clients that see themselves between three to seven years from exiting. They're maybe in, in um, mid to late stage of their career. They understand that that this is their retirement plan and they want to work toward that end. The other part of our clients are like like airplanes and that they're taking off. They're not startup. So they're probably five to six years into business. They're really getting some traction. They're growing, but they're starting to have issues both personally in their personal finances, but maybe in the business finances where they're growing top line revenue, but it begins to hurt. And we help them understand where that pain's coming from. A lot of times it's in the financial machinery of the business. And we help them kind of work out the kinks in the machinery and help them understand here's how to really grow your business toward a target valuation. And here's how to maybe, maybe be not so dependent on an exit to fund your retirement dreams. Let's look at this as an investment. And how should you treat it in terms of the cash flow and things like that? So, yeah, we work with clients that are 
kind of far away, if you will, and then ones that are that are not so far away, but but kind of in different modes. Got it. Are the business owners out there that they get to the point where they're growing, but then it starts to hurt? Is that like what are some anonymous case studies or or anonymous examples of that? Like maybe their expenses are increasing and their profit margin is being squeezed for whatever reason. Maybe the business owners are getting distracted, whether with health issues, marital issues, whatever, and they're taking their eye off the ball. What are, what are some things that you've seen? Obviously, yeah. not mentioning any names or anything, but what have you seen that gets a business owner to the point where they could be, they have product market fit, they, you know, they, they have a, a thriving customer list, they've been in business, like you said, five, six years. What are the things that you've seen that, to a certain amount of scale, maybe even growth, but they're at yeah. a point where it's hurting? Give us some more information about that. Yeah, so a couple of things. So on the financial side, sometimes it's about, you know, you're, you're growing your revenue and maybe the way you're collecting that revenue, your accounts receivable start to climb. You know, you're getting bigger customers or bigger contracts. A lot of times those payment terms are not quite as good as, as in the old days, if you will, when you were smaller and your expenses still need to be paid, but your cash is not coming in to match those expenses. That's fairly common. Another financial issue with regard to that is compensation plans. In other words, if you're growing revenue, you're probably growing expenses related to driving revenue. And sometimes, you know, comp plans are designed so that really the profit is being given to sales. And so by the time you collect your money, you know, that margin really went away because of the comp plan that you had structured. And I know that you guys work with physician practices, I think physical therapists specifically, that can be the case when you're adding docs and you're trying to entice more revenue generation is do you really have a comp plan that's designed to not only you know keep someone productive and encourage them, but as the owner, where's that margin going and where is the actual value being like, is it making your business more valuable to do that? Or is the value really going out the door with that new doc's paycheck? Yeah. And there's, I've seen a lot of evolution of compensation, especially like during and throughout COVID, where I've heard of some pretty big physical therapy companies across the US where they, without mentioning the name, but one took a lot of their or all of their staff physical therapists and took them from salary based to 50% of that salary. And then the next, the other 50% was like a performance base based off of like completed visits or, you know, whatever productivity. So that seems like whether it's because of COVID or just the nature of healthcare and reimbursement and, you know, payments, third party payers. And then, like you said, things like accounts receivable, which in healthcare, if you're in network, even some of the out of network, you know, you're, you're billing the insurance companies and there's a 14 to 30 day delay or 60 day delay in terms of accounts receivable, which then can create a squeeze sometimes on cash flow. Yep. Yeah. And that, that happens when you're in uh, growth mode or high growth mode. Again, you're doing the quote right things, especially as it relates to the top line, but the devil's in the details, so to speak. And that's where, like I said, we kind of get into the gears of that financial machinery to help them understand what's going on, what needs to be tweaked or changed. Then we monitor that. We're not bookkeepers and, and we're not accountants, but we help get the structure right so that that external bookkeeper or internal they've got a process they can follow and the owner understands why they need to make the changes that they do really because those changes are tied to a personal financial plan, not necessarily a business plan. That's another kind of mistake that we see people, you know, as business owners, we sort of instinctively know you got to have a business plan. We're not saying you do not, but 
your personal financial plan is also the business plan and vice versa. And so thinking about the business in a vacuum without sort of what it means to you, and I'm talking about beyond your salary and beyond kind of your perks. I mean, in terms of growing your largest investment, if any of your clients or people that you work with gave cash to a money manager, they would have one expectation and one expectation only. They would want them to grow that investment. They don't really care what they're buying or what they're selling, but they want, if they gave them 10 bucks, they want 12 bucks at the end of the month and then 14 bucks and 18. Well, very, very few business owners think about their largest investment that they have full control over in terms of valuation. And am I growing the value of my business? Right. Well, in terms of what you guys do as financial advisors, with what you do, is this unique? Is this like a unique model? Because I feel like others, I've had others on the show or others across the US and they're a little bit more of yeah managing the assets. But I think you, it sounds like you guys are like really involved in the actual functions of your clients' businesses and more than just like, yeah, we're going to manage you know your money and like we're shooting for here's some different right. options and here's some returns. And it seems like what you do is like what you do unique to you guys or is this like a subset of like certain financial advisors do what you guys do and kind of like are part of like the small business owner's life in regards to like, growing their business, improving the, the yeah. margins. like It's almost like a consulting function. It is a consulting function. And to answer your question directly, there are not a lot of financial advisors that focus on, on what we do. You're right. Most financial advisors are essentially asset gatherers where they, they want a 401k plan or they want liquidity to manage in stocks, bonds, mutual funds. They want to sell you life insurance. And all those things are important. We just don't focus on that. That is a very, very crowded space. And uh, when we set out to start our business, we, we knew that that was the direction we could go. But again, it's just so crowded. What we knew is that business owners care about their business. Even though they're high net worth, a lot of times they're low liquidity. So when you begin talking to them about their most important investment and how that relates to their personal planning, now you have their attention. Because they sort of instinctively know that as the business goes, so they go personally. But a lot of business owners, and myself included, sometimes we get so focused in the business, we're not working on the business. And you hear that a lot. We're trying to help our clients understand working on the business because it's got to do something specific financially for them at a certain point in time. And we just want to bring some alignment there between the timing and the amount, knowing that the business is the vehicle that's going to get them there. And yes, we do roll up our sleeves and get involved in the businesses. We're not there to take the place of a bookkeeper. We're there to work alongside. We're not there to be a tax expert. We're not CPAs. We do not do tax work. Sometimes we have some professional disagreements with CPAs because a lot of business owners, and I would imagine physical therapists would be no different, their standing order to their CPA is, I want the lowest possible tax bill right now I don't want to go to jail. Well, the CPA, you know, salutes and, and does the work, but a lot of times that work can inadvertently damage business valuation because they're immediately expensing things. They're taking advantage of the code. But what most business owners don't realize is that taxes are, it's kind of like thermodynamics. You know, you can't create or destroy them just because you get a deduction currently. That's going to come back to get you at the end. And most CPAs are not talking about that with their clients. 
when you sort of lay that that tax burden to the side and you were going to pay 100 bucks in tax and now you're going to pay 80 just through some CPA magic, if you will, or some end of the year shopping spree, that's going to come back to bite you when you really don't want that to happen. Yeah. So, we're so, there to- so when or how? Because other practice owners that I've spoken with or watching, they'll say, oh, well, it's an ad back or a lot of, a lot of these things will be ad back. So they'll say, hey, Dave, like you guys, you know, if you buy this practice, you buy my practice. Uh, next year, that that deduction is not going to be on the books, right? So it's an ad back. It's like it's more profit. So the owner wants credit for that in terms of profit. So how would it or how could it affect their valuation? Well, there's there's and way in the deep back pages of your tax return because most business owners have tax returns that could be a hundred pages easy, and that's just if they're operating in one state. If you're operating in multiple states, you're getting some pretty thick documents there. There's things called depreciation recapture. It's recaptured at the end when you sell your business and you have to pay income tax on all those items as opposed to capital gains. There's a lot of complexity in our tax code because, again, business owners are focusing on income tax. When you sell your business, which is an asset, that's on the capital gains side of the ledger. They are completely different sections of the code with completely different considerations for how to manage those kind of things. Your CPA is skilled and knows all those kind of things. It's not that they're incompetent or not doing their job. It's just you as the client have been beating on them to lower your tax bill. So they're going through the bag of tricks and they're going through the nooks and crannies of the code to save you money now. The conversation that you're not having with them as a client is what's this going to do to me later on? What's it going to do to me when I sell my business? Dave, I would tell you, if your clients would ask that question to their CPAs, they're going to get an earful and they might want to change some of the things that they're doing right now. But again, most people don't even bother to have the conversation. CPAs are swamped. They can't talk to you while they're preparing your return about that. That's a conversation, honestly, for the summer. That's a June, July, August conversation with your CPA, not a February, March, April, September, or October conversation. Yeah, interesting. Either the CPAs are too busy or the small business owner doesn't know to ask that question. They just think, well, I'm getting all these legal deductions and, you know, buying cleaning supplies and and things like some for the office and then some for the house and it's all a business write-off and so these things could creep back up uh, upon exit and yeah. Could it be that the 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 CPAs just I feel like some would know this that answer and just not address it unless they're asked, or I feel like some might not fully understand that because a lot of their clients, what's it like 10 or 20% of businesses actually that are on the market actually sell. So most 70, right. 80, 90% never actually sell. So right. For in, in terms of the number of clients, like it's rare that their small businesses are actually going to be sold anyway. So it's the conversation that these CPAs don't usually have or may not even have that often anyway. Yeah. And I mean, I hate to say this, but when you sell your business, guess who loses the client? CPA. So they, they would actually not be in favor. I mean, of, I'm not, I'm not that. saying, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying, you know, that's going to be a consideration out there and not that sure. a CPA does not want you to sell their business, but it's like we were talking about earlier. There's the income tax side of the code, which is substantial. And that's where they spend 90% of their career is knowing those nooks and crannies to help you as a business owner take advantage of what the code allows you to do. Nothing wrong with that. But then there's the capital gain side of the code. 
where fewer people are spending time. Most people think about cap gains when they buy or sell a stock or they buy or sell a real estate asset. Real estate assets have their section of the code. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds have their section of the code. Business assets, S-Corp, C-Corp, LLC, partnership, however you're structured, each have their own sections of the tax code. And they're not visited that often. And so that's just one of those things where no single CPA or even firm of CPAs can know the breadth and width of the United States tax code. It's the ninth wonder of the world in terms of complexity. And so that's what we're just saying is that as business advisors, we are aware of those issues. We, we try to issue spot and point those out where it's like, hey, let's maybe spend a few extra bucks now so that at the end, this stuff doesn't come back to bite us. And you're right about ad backs and some of those things in terms of expenses that they might be expensing out. But, you know, when you start talking about kind of shenanigans with real estate, especially if that's part of the practice or other things, that's where those surprises are waiting to jump back to get you on the back end at a higher tax rate because they're income tax than the capital gain side. Very, very interesting. I'm glad that we touched on that. Another thing you mentioned in the pre-interview, you said that you got at Pendleton. So you do not run auctions for your clients. You do not run auctions when they are going to sell. And another thing that you said is that your, so anyone that's watching or listening, your business is not going, or at least for your clients, John, that your businesses are not going to be, the the businesses are going to be bought, not sold. So let's get into that a little bit in terms of like your methodology, your approach, and a little bit of, you know, stepping into this process. Sure. So you're right. We do talk to our clients about, especially if they're kind of in that landing phase, you know, where they're maybe five to seven years away from what they think is is going to be a business exit where they're going to sort of leave the world of work and retire. You know, we do talk to them about their business being bought rather than sold. That's where we're working with them on trying to determine if you sold your business, what do you need it to be worth? for you to kind of live out your days the way that that you want to. And so we calculate a target valuation based on that financial planning exercise that we take them through. And then we compare that to their current state in terms of, okay, what's your business worth now? What value can we defend? If we had to go to court, in other words, and produce enough evidence to give a valuation, where are you on that now? Then we look at that delta, what's the distance between current state and then future state? And then we begin to talk to them about, okay, what are you doing financially that's helping the value of your business? And what might you be doing that's hurting the value of the business? We want to do less of the hurt and more of the help. And we begin to monitor that. We also determine specific drivers of valuation for their business. Every business has anywhere from we've seen as few as two to as many as seven financial measurables that when you begin to kind of operate them like a control panel where you might like turn a knob and, 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 and push the lever. We've seen where that has, again, mathematically defendable results that will increase business valuation. And we know that those are the kind of things that a even semi-sophisticated buyer, because we tell our clients, look, the next person, the next guy, so to speak, that owns your business is an investor. You started your business as a founder because you wanted to strike out on your own. You got tired of working for the other guy. You're like, hey, if he can do it, I'm at least half as smart as he is. I can go do it. We get that. that that's how we started our firm. But the next person is always an investor. And so you've got to begin thinking like them ahead of the game. You've got to understand what they want to understand. I get the whole thing with industry multiples and stuff like that. Those are great ways when you're having a nice dinner with people 
and you want to very quickly arrive at a number to wow and amaze people with, use industry multiple. We've never seen a client sell their business or it be purchased for an industry multiple. And the reason why is our clients are working on purpose to raise the value of their company. When you do that, you begin talking about your business differently and your business operates differently. The market, if you will, air quote, the market knows that. They begin to pick up on it. Those pros who are out there scouring the market and looking for investment understand the difference between kind of a mom and pop podunk sort of thing and somebody that's really running something that's a little out of the ordinary, if you will. Not super sophisticated, but just they're talking about it differently. That's where you begin to get those calls, those unsolicited calls and those knocks on the door to say, hey, Dave, you got something going on there that I think we'd be interested in. Could we talk to you about what's going on? That's when your business begins to be bought rather than you telling the world that, hey, I'm for sale. Come get me. Now, at that point, your client then reaches out to you and Pendleton and says, hey, I, I got you know one corporate or one potential buyer that's interested. And then you guys take it from there. You kind of start with the process of like, what do you do then? Because you, you're saying you don't run an auction, which and I've had a, a few other in, investment bankers here on the show, and they will do kind of like a blind, you know, they'll contact five, 10, whatever buyers. They'll say, hey, here's the sign the NDA. And then here's the confidential information memorandum. And then we're really looking to get LOIs in, you know, two Fridays from now or whatever. Right. And then next week, we're going to, you know, whittle it down, whatever. So you don't, you don't do any of that. What do you guys do? No, I mean, so let's say our client, let's say, Dave, you're our client and you, we've been working on valuation. It's climbing. We can defend it, but you don't feel like you're really ready. You know, you might be a year or two out from that kind of target time, but you go to the conference or you meet somebody and a known buyer calls you or contacts you and says, Hey, Dave, we're talking to so and so, blah, blah, blah. Can we talk to you about your business? We tell our clients, okay, that's when, you know, we kind of give them almost a prepared statement where you're like, Yep, you sure can. But listen, I've hired this firm down in uh, South Carolina, Pendleton Street Business Advisors. They are my guys. They've got all the information. They've got everything you might need for diligence in order to get to an LOI or whatever you want. Call them. That's the next phone call they're going to make. They call us. And uh, we just kind of begin taking them through a process that we've developed to really see how serious they are before we start throwing your financials out there on the street and kind of your, I don't want to say secret sauce, but kind of what you're doing that's driving valuation. Most owners give too much information too quickly to buyers. And what people need to understand that any buyer is doing is, yeah, they're trying to evaluate to see if you're, if it's a good deal to buy your business, but they're also trying to evaluate, would it be cheaper for us to build it? Build or buy. And most sellers just, pardon the expression, but they just drop their drawers a little too fast and give a little too much information, even with brokers, you know, and, and the thing about brokers with an auction, it makes all the sense in the world. If you're a seller to say, look, I want to find as many buyers for my business and I want them all standing in my front yard fighting over my business. I wish it were that simple and I wish it really worked that way. We've done a lot of writing and we've got videos on our website about this where professional buyers all know one another and they all talk. None of them is going to pay much more than a nickel above what the next guy is going to pay. And they all know what they're doing. And Dave, this may get you some hate mail from brokers. But <laughs> there when, we go. But when you're, Here we go. But, but when your job as a broker 
are you the client as a seller or is the deal a client? And the reason I ask this is because we had clients long ago kind of point that out to us and say, hey, if, if I'm using a broker or even an investment banker, which is just kind of a fancier way of saying business broker, all those people they're calling to talk about your business and to try to get them involved in an auction, let's say they get a deal. Well, who are they going to call next week? They got to go back to the same group because they know, look, these are the guys that buy businesses. We got to go to them. How hard are they going to fight for your business on the valuation when they know that if they make some of those guys mad, they might not get their phone call taken for a little while. And then that hurts their business. I'm not saying that that happens in every case, but what we tell people is, look, think it through. Who's the client? That's why we sit with our clients on on their side of the table through a transaction. We are charging a flat fee that we have agreed upon prior to anybody knocking on their door. They know when that time comes, Pendleton Street is going to do that work and evaluate those buyers as they come. And here's what's going to happen when a deal goes down. And so we're paid on a flat fee basis for our work. We try to push buyers to know because we want them to go away, if you will, because that's actually what kind of makes them come even harder, slightly standoffish, and you don't act as if you're for sale. Remember, they called you. Big difference when the guy knocks on your door on a Sunday afternoon and wants to buy your house, fight unseen, than if you put a Remax sign out front and now you're on the market. So it's a little bit about leverage there? It is about leverage, and we call it, not to be overly technical, kind of an informational disadvantage. Dave, you and I were talking earlier about you never want to be educated by the buyer of your business about your business. That's the worst possible time to find out what you're really made of financially. We are helping our clients get ready and in shape, so to speak, several years before the deal is going to go down. The deal is going to be hard enough, even when you've got everybody agreeing, you've got the business points ironed out, you've got all your documentation ready. Deals are tough. They take longer than anybody imagines they should they uh, or that they will. They're just, it's emotional. There's a lot going on with the seller. So that's going to be hard enough. What we're doing is we're helping our clients gain peace of mind because their facts and figures are all straight. They're all verified. They're all in one place. We're managing the, the all the fine details of due diligence. We're also managing the lawyers because the seller needs to have a lawyer the buyer's going to have a lawyer. We're managing all that back and forth. And we're helping our clients on the negotiations to make sure that they get the deal that syncs up with their target valuation, which helps them move forward to actually do the deal because they know, look, when we close at this, I pay my taxes, the dust settles, I pay the lawyers. I'm going to have enough or more than enough to do that next thing that's important to me. Got it. Another thing you mentioned, mathematical defensible valuation. And you said one thing that you do to help your clients is financial record keeping to back that up. So what are some things that you see? Maybe they're maybe they're using, like you said, a bookkeeper who is like not that experienced, or do they need to go from like a, a lower accountant to a, a bigger accounting firm? So instead of like a solo accountant, they need to go to like some referred or recommended accounting firm that's like, oh, you know, mid-tier or regional, that's a little bit larger. What are some things that you see that are challenges there? And what are some, you know, things that you like tips or advice that you help your clients with, with the financial record keeping? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, One is just have good record keeping. And here's what good record keeping looks like. Again, when you're thinking about your business as an investment, 
most business owners, whether you're large or small, do just enough bookkeeping to pay their taxes. So that's not a bad place to start. You've got to do that. You got to keep track of revenue. You got to keep track of expenses and then, you know, whatever's left over. What we're encouraging our clients to do, especially, and again, even if you're on the early side of this, much less if you're kind of in that five to, you know, seven year window is you need to start um, getting more of what we would call management reporting from your bookkeeping, where you're getting a little bit finer detail of your revenue stream, a little bit finer of a detail of your expenses, because that's going to make it easier to show that buyer like, hey, we know our stuff. You're not going to educate me about my own practice. I might be a PT and I'm not like a professional bookkeeper. We tell all of our clients, look, you don't need an A plus in finance, but you need to be at least a C student. You can't be an F student. You know, you can't say, look, well, I outsource that to somebody and I don't think about that stuff. I just focus on my patients. Okay, well, then congratulations on buying yourself a great job. You probably don't have a great business asset. So you need to bump that education up a little bit. We help our clients do that. We also help our clients evaluate. Maybe they do need to to level up a little bit in, in who they're getting bookkeeping help from. Most of the time, they don't. Most of the time, whoever you're using just needs to hear a pro-to-pro conversation from a firm like ours where we sort of speak their language and we we kind of order off menu a little bit. Because we can speak the language and they understand exactly what we're talking about. A lot of times it's hard for a business owner who might be at a F or a D minus in finance. It's hard for them to articulate what the real need is. But when you get someone that can kind of break that language barrier, so to speak, um, it usually comes together really nicely. Now, sometimes if it's a larger practice, say you're in multiple states or you've got, you know, a couple of dozen uh, locations you're probably going to need a, a heavier duty CPA that specializes in M&A when you get within that kind of 12 month mark, because you're going to need a little bit of help. You're going to have to do it anyway in diligence because a bigger firm is probably going to be acquired by a much bigger group. They are going to put you through, again, pardon the expression, a, a proctological exam of your business. Go ahead and get it done on your terms, kind of that 12 to 18 month term mark from that, where you go to your firm, who's probably a bigger firm anyway, and say, look, I need somebody to look at this from an M&A standpoint. And go ahead. It's kind of like getting a home inspection on your own house before you sell it. They're going to show you what those issues are on the accounting side and maybe even tax. That's going to be money well spent kind of pre, pre-transaction. And we would encourage our clients to do that. We would really almost insist. Again, our firm doesn't provide that service. But we know how to talk to those professionals to kind of order the right stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. And with that process, like there'll be a bunch of different waves of document requests and things like that as someone is either entering due diligence or kind of like pre-LOI stage. And so if you as the business owner already have a lot of those documents and things prepared, then you can get them to, you know, John or the advisors or to us, the buyers in a timely fashion. Because sometimes we'll ask for some simple documents, lease agreements, uh, whatever it might be, payroll records. After you know, we we've gotten the tax returns, the other PL income statement, balance sheet, all that. And sometimes there'll be a random delay of like two or three weeks to get like the yep. lease agreement or payroll yep. records or whatever. And so, from a buyer's perspective, it's kind of like, are they nervous or are they just not organized? And like, so then that kind of goes into our like 
that'll be another thing thrown into valuation potentially, right? Because it's like, are we then like, whether subconsciously or consciously, whether my team talks about it or not, or my team is like, hey, what's going on with so-and-so? What's going on? Uh, I haven't heard from this, you know, this potential seller in a while. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, we're still waiting on these records, whatever. So even though it's not like in the mathematical side, it's kind of like in the like the abstract side of the deal or the yeah, interaction. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it is very subjective and, and you're right. I, I would say to your audience, for what a buyer would consider a basic level of documentation, and, and you mentioned almost all of them, a lease agreement, payroll records, employee roster with salary and position, year-to-date financials that are within 30 days of the current current date, corporate tax returns. Any of those that takes longer than a business week to produce, you're losing money on your valuation. I guarantee it. Money is coming off of your valuation the longer it takes you to produce what, again, a buyer would consider basic documentation. Now, as a business owner, I mean, you've got much better things to do than to keep an organized library of all those things. Again, that's where a firm like ours comes in, where we're helping to build that library. We will go in and gather those things. We're going to push your buttons a little bit to get some stuff. But what we know is time kills all deals or at least wounds all deals. And Dave, you've seen enough of these on the buy side to know the longer it takes to get basic documentation, you, your mind begins to wander and saying, well, what else are they not doing well over there? Exactly. You know, so, e- and- so even the revenue, the prop, like in that time period of speaking, you speak in the, you know, we're speaking to each other for a month, whatever, two, three months, whatever it might be. And so nothing material, n- nothing material has really changed in the business, probably. But you're saying from us, like, and I was kind of hinting at it, like, we're going to potentially put that into that, like, we might knock down the valuation or the potential offer or the initial yeah. offer. We might start a little lower because of some of that, even though yeah. that could be alleviated by having, you know, advisors like you guys or, or, or a better, you know, law or a better uh, CPA firm or whatever it might be. And that's something that can be challenging for small business owners, especially healthcare business owners, physical therapy practice owners, because some of them are still in the trenches treating patients. And now it's like they have to learn this whole process. They have to get these documents. They have to talk to a broker or advisor. They have to talk to their CPA. It's like a new role and responsibility in their life that they haven't really done before. 100%. I mean, we tell our clients, and we're telling our clients who are organized and they are ready, hey, you're getting a new full-time, part-time job that starts the minute you sign that LOI. Now, a lot of the minutia in terms of the documents going back and forth and, 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 and the, the logistics, again, our firm is, is, is handling that. Where the part-time job comes in is, is your, your mind being on it all the time, you having to make yourself available during the business day. That's one thing that um, kind of doctors kind of get, or, or again, healthcare providers, it's a challenge because during the business day, you're treating patients. You're going to have to talk to advisors between the hours of 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. when you're selling your business. You're just going to have to. Um, you're going to have to allocate, I mean, depending on how close you are to closing, sometimes as much as an hour a day on that. And that's when it's going well. <laughs> if it goes off the rails or if you're trying to DIY it or you've got kind of a broker that's that's got 20 other deals that they've, plates that are spinning, you know, if you're working just with your CPA, who, again, they really just file taxes. They don't run deals. 
um, much, much more of your time is going to be spent answering questions and, and trying to figure all that stuff out by yourself. Well said. I know this is going to be helpful and valuable to practice owners and business owners out there listening or watching. What's a quick recap, John? We've covered a bunch of stuff. And I think like for today's episode, what have we not covered that's kind of in this realm of this conversation? Well, I think one thing I would re- recap is, you know, start early, you know, again, and even if you're not thinking about selling your business, but again, if you've worked hard to create this business, this is your largest asset. And again, if you gave cash to a money manager, you you would have one expectation and one expectation only. Um, begin looking at your business as an investment because the next person, and there will always be a next person, is going to look at it that way. The sooner you're doing that, the better off you're going to be. You're going to run a better business. It's going to be more sustainable. It's probably going to be more profitable. And it's honestly going to be more enjoyable to you as an owner. If you're kind of on the, on the, on the later side of your career and you're like, well, I haven't done that well, but I think in the next five years, I think I'll be okay. You know, that's where you need to start getting ready to get ready. You at least need to start having a conversation with your CPA about, hey, I'm going to sell this thing at some point. Tell me what I need to know. You're going to begin uh, talking to people at your industry conference and your industry gatherings and not telling them that you're for sale. You never say that you're for sale. You just talk to them about, hey, I'm getting my stuff in order. I'm running my business a little bit better. I know that someone's going to come along at some point and they're going to want this. You start kind of laying the groundwork for that. You don't go to people ever and say, hey, I'm thinking about getting out. Uh, I think that's one of the worst things that that you can that you can do out there. When you start running your business for valuation and running it as an investment, you're going to talk about it differently. You're going to feel differently, and the market is going to pick up on that. And that's when your phone's going to start ringing, and and knocks are going to come on the door. Love it. Perfect place to pause, John. What's a good place? Whether it's LinkedIn, email, website. What's a good place for the audience to reach out to you if they want to connect or learn a little bit more about what you guys do? Yeah. Uh, uh, so my firm, again, Pendleton Street Business Advisors, we are on LinkedIn. We've got a corporate page, myself, John Barnes. Um, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn with videos and writings about kind of what we've been talking about today. Our website is PendletonStreetAdvisors.com. We've got all kinds of videos and, and helps for, for people. You can just go to our website and get a bunch of just value without even contacting us. We'd love for you to contact us. Uh, but we've got a lot of stuff on there uh, that can help people who are thinking about these things as well. Awesome. John, really appreciate your time. Anyone watching, listening, if you find this valuable, insightful, subscribe to the Dave Kittle Show on iTunes, YouTube, or Spotify. And we'll catch you next time here on the show. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.